Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Um, I will mention the word mother sometime in the sermon today. <laughs> I'll mention it again. Um, I'm really excited about being able to share with you today because um, I've just come to realize how great God, I mean, I'm, every day you realize how great God is, but to realize again in fresh new ways, it's always such a, a life-giving thing. Um, last time I spoke, we looked into the scriptures to see how and why and when God answers our prayers, you remember? And we all agreed that our prayers need a lot of help. We saw that there were at least four single conditions uh, to answer prayer, but we finally concluded that these things, these four single conditions, kind of all overlap one another. Uh, those were that we should ask in the name of Jesus, that we should abide in him and in his word, that we should believe in him, and that we should pray according to his will. And we decided that all four of these things really is the same, the same essence of the meaning is all the same in each one of these. So praying according to God's purposes joins our interests and concerns and even our hopes and desires with his. And then we looked at three things to help us. First of all, that we should entrust ourselves to the Father's loving authority. We can't, pray, we can't pray in his name or according to his will if we don't trust his authority over us. Second thing we looked at, we were going to focus on God's priorities in the scriptures. In other words, in the word of God. And third, we were going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us pray because frequently we don't know how. So basically, for the theologians in the room, we were going to call upon the Trinity. We were going to look to the Father under his authority. And we were going to look to Jesus, the Word, for the priorities. And we were going to look to the Spirit to help us in our prayers. Brief story. The other night, uh, I was leaving our prayer meeting at the BHOP. That's the Bishop House of Prayer. And I was, I was just struck by the idea that we had just invested 90 minutes in close fellowship with dear friends in the presence of God. The creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth. And the Lord and master and judge over every man, woman, and child that had ever lived. We spent 90 minutes together with him in this, in this person's home. And then I was also struck by the realization that I could have just as easily spent those 90 minutes at a different house playing bridge with somebody. And it kind of struck me, you know, what am I investing my time in? What am I investing my life in? What's going on here? Uh, and it reminds me somewhat of the, the first question in the Westminster Catechism. And you've heard it quoted a lot, probably. What is the chief end of man? And the answer is, well, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, we're, we're, we're to glorify God and we're to enjoy him. Now, this is a powerful declaration. 
and it sets a strong foundation for our lives, the whole purpose of our lives, and it inspires us to seek God to fulfill all of our hopes and dreams. And with all due respect to the writers of this creed, I want to propose a similar question to you today. What is the chief end of prayer? What is the chief goal of your prayer? Is there a unifying purpose for our prayers? Is there a unifying foundation for our prayers that gives energy that would help them fly to God and be present in the heavenly realm? In 1895, there was a man named Andrew Murray who published a book titled With Christ in the School of Prayer. It had 31 lessons in this book. And they all address this one thought. If you abide in me, ask whatsoever you will, and it shall be done unto you. 31 lessons, Andrew Murray. And I thought I could cover that last time in one sermon. Um, But one of the lessons he talked about is that the Father be glorified. And the subtitle of that uh, lesson is, what is achieved in the prayer? So in this lesson, Murray looks to John 17, 4. If you want to open your Bibles to John, John 17, we're going to spend a lot of time in that chapter. <clears throat> in this lesson, Murray looks at John 17, 4 to see the main thrust of Jesus's life here on earth. Jesus says, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus did everything and accomplished everything for the glory of the Father, including all of his words, all of his actions, and all of his prayers. Since we are called to follow Christ as his disciples, it, would, it should seem certain that we are to do exactly the same. All of our words, all of our actions, And all of our prayers are to glorify God. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink, and whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Can we say today that the chief end of prayer is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever? May this be the very aim of our prayers. And the end and the very soul and life of our prayers. That we glorify God in our prayers and that we enjoy him in our prayers. Maybe you don't necessarily think about enjoying God in your prayers. But I want you to, your, your, your life of prayer to expand here this morning. To really see what God has in mind. Murray goes on to point out that according to John 14, 3. This is a couple of chapters before that. John 14, 3, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And he goes on to say that it's more glorious to the Father that he answer our prayers than he not answer them. It's more glorious to the Father that he answer your prayer than, than, than he not answer your prayer. So therefore, our prayers need to be made in the will of God that he might answer them. God will not overlook any prayer to secure the glory of his son. I'm not saying you just get it close, 
to the, to the will of the Father. But he's looking for to glorify his son in your life. And if your prayers give him any opportunity to do so, he will. So would you make this your aim of your prayer to glorify God? Let this be the purpose that links your asking and God's doing. You're asking whatever the answer is that Christ be glorified in that answer. And that links your asking with God's doing because the Father is waiting to glorify the Son through your prayers. And my question to you here this morning, this Mother's Day, there it is, is this. Who... Who is it that's been praying for you that you glorify God in your life? Who was it that prayed for you over the years? Who was it that prayed for you before you were even born and every day since your life began? Who was it that prays for you? Who was it that that carries your life to God and asks Him to to watch over you. Who was it that prayed that you might persevere in Christ, that you might love your family and love your neighbors? Who was it that prayed that you might grow in holiness and an honest and patient interaction with others and that you might enjoy the unity and the fellowship of the church and that you might love and fear God and enjoy him forever? Who was it that prayed for you? Perhaps it was your mother. Could have been your father, your grandparents. It could have been other family members or teachers or friends or pastors or neighbors. Hopefully all these people have been praying for you. But there's one who reigns above all the rest. And that's Jesus. Jesus has been praying these very things for his own. Romans 8.34 tells us this. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. For the rest of your life, when you think about prayer, and one of the first things that come to your mind is that Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. Jesus prays for us when we are weak and we can barely even pray ourselves. He prays for us when we're exhausted. And on Mother's Day, maybe that's an appropriate comment. (laughs) When we're too tired to go on, Jesus prays for us. And he prays for us when we think we're strong and we can take on the world, he prays for us. When Jesus ascended to heaven and was seated in power and authority at the right hand of God the Father, he returned to the glory that had been his before he came as a man on earth. And now he rules all creation as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And in his position, he is also high priest. And there in the very presence of God, the father, he intercedes and pleads for us while our battle of faith continues on the earth. When Satan points out our sins to God, the father, Jesus is right there. To deflect the accusation. And to plead our case before God. Because Jesus fully understands all of our human experience and and temptations. He knows. He has scars on him where he bore pain and suffering. He was rejected. He was laughed at. He was ridiculed. 
He was exhausted and tired. He understands us. And he's there with God the Father pleading for us. Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, yet he did not sin. The way it works is that Satan's accusations are pointless against us in the presence of God the Father. Because while we are truly guilty of our sin, Jesus completely paid our sin debt and made us righteous. Now God sees us in Christ as his children perfectly. There's no other mediator between God and man, no unworthy of this role. Jesus is the only one. No one else, neither Mary, the mother of Jesus, nor saints, nor angels can take that place of honor and power to intercede for us before the throne of the Almighty. God alone is the God-man. Christ alone is the God-man. And he, meditate, he mediates on our behalf to God. 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us this. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. We know that Jesus pleads for us in full trust of the Father's authority, doesn't he? And in full obedience with the, with the promises God has made and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We would think that Jesus' prayers will be answered completely and fully, right? We should, we should have confidence in this. Wouldn't you like to know what he prays? What he's praying today for you? Although the scripture doesn't say exactly what Jesus is praying for us today, we do have some really good insight into those prayers by considering how he prayed on earth. Now, this John 17 is a prayer that only Jesus can pray. Even though he was fully God walking around among us, he was always praying to the Father. But John 17 Glorious reveals his desire for his own people. His heart seems to light up when he thinks about them. And it's not for the whole world. But Jesus is specific and he says, I'm praying for those whom you have given me. He's praying for the ones that belong to Jesus. So it's not the entire world, but the, the elect of God, the ones that, that are chosen that for Jesus. Now, he could have prayed this prayer privately, couldn't he have? Because it's between him and God. But he wanted his disciples to hear it. He wanted them to record it that we might know it. So he prayed it out loud. Jesus chose to pray this prayer, not on the mountain by himself, not in the garden alone but in the presence of his disciples that they might hear his heart expressed to God. When we grasp hold of what Jesus prays for us, it would, it would change the way we, we pray, the way, the way we live. Jesus would soon leave his disciples. In the previous chapter, he had said that he had spoken of trouble to come, tribulation to come. And, but because he had overcome the world, they would have his peace in the midst of the trouble. After praying for glory for himself 
and over the work he completed on the earth, Jesus then asked the Father, John 17, 11. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So he's asking God the Father to protect us and to keep us secure in his name and to make us one. This in itself, you could think about the rest of your life. I hope you see Jesus' holy desire to have a relationship with us. Jesus wants a relationship with you. To be one with you. What does it mean to be one with someone? That's what he wants. It's not a high-by relationship. It's a continuous, life-nurturing relationship he wants. He didn't say, Father, use them, strengthen them, bless them, guide them, teach them. He said, keep them, protect them, let us be one together. Wasn't so much about what we do, but about who we are in the beloved. That's what he wants for us. Now, we would likely pray, please use Gateway Christian Church for your will. Strengthen them, Father, for all your purposes. Guide them, teach them. But when the hour came for Jesus to leave his disciples, he sums up all of his hearts, urging and love by saying, keep them in your name that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus is praying this for us today. He prays this for us today. Now, when we're about to leave our family or go on a trip, we, we pray it the same way. We, we obviously don't pray to keep them in our name. When I left my family going on a business trip, I don't say, God, keep them in my name. We say, God, keep them, protect them, preserve them. But could our prayer to keep others ever match the desire and love of Jesus' prayer? To keep us, to protect us. We feel a bond of love with those who pray for us. If we would stop the service right now and have, have you pray for one another, you would, you would feel a bond of love between you in the presence of God. But here, Jesus wants to be one with him. And he wants us to be one together with all the body of Christ. And not only the body of Christ that's alive today, but all those who've gone before us. Moses and David and John and Peter and Paul. And all who those who come after us to be one with them through the unity of God. But the scope of this oneness is the scope of God, the Father's oneness with God, the Son, Jesus Christ. That's the oneness that he wants for us. Can you think about this? The oneness that he wants. Can you grasp the depth of this? Jesus wants to be one with us. And to bring us into his glorious life. That's this promise. And that's his prayer. His desire for intimate relationship with all who are his is supreme. That we are with Jesus is far more important than who we are or what we do. That we are with Jesus is the most important thing. He prays that we might be kept 
and protected. And then in John 17, 15, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So it's, maybe it's a part B of the first one, a part A of protect and keep us. It's to keep us from the power of Satan. Okay, so a lot of people have difficulty thinking about Satan, about an enemy. But here Jesus is very clear. He's praying that we be protected from the power of the evil one, the power of Satan. Now, Jesus lives, leaves us in a world filled with trouble and sorrow. What could he be possibly thinking, right? He leaves us in a world filled with crime and violence, with suicide bombers, with threats of nuclear destruction. He leaves us in a world filled with people that are turning their back on God's ways and defining themselves for who they want to be. He leaves us in a world filled with pride and unbelief, a world where Satan rules as the prince of the power of the air. He leaves us here. And Satan accuses us and tempts us and tries to influence every one of us to live apart from God. But Jesus, he sent his spirit to live within us. And he prays that we not be infected with this contagious evil of our time. And that we not be subjected to any trial that causes us to fail forever. He prays that we be kept from the power of the enemy. In other words, he prays with a chain around the devil's neck. And he holds the devil at bay when it concerns his children. Now, we don't see the enemy directly, but Jesus does. And he knows all and sees all. And he calls upon the father to keep us from the evil one. Here's an example of this of this prayer. I believe Jesus continues to pray. It's in Luke 22, 31 and 32. And he's he's speaking to Simon and Simon has just said something really stupid. And he says, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus is praying for you that your faith may not fail. I'm sure of it. I'm sure he's praying that for you, that your faith not fail. And then in John 17, 17, he says to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is praying today that we be sanctified. Now, that's a big word. What does it mean? To be sanctified. Well, to sanctify means to be put to proper use, to consecrate, to set apart, to free from sin or declare holy, to progress in holiness. Jesus prays to the Father that the truth of God will free us from sin and make us holy and useful for his purposes. This is why what you believe is so important. This is why doctrine is important. Because it's the truth of God that sets us free from lies. And causes us to cling to, to God's righteousness. 2 Timothy 2.21 says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And Hebrews twelve fourteen says, 
Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see God. Sanctify is to set us apart as holy and useful for honorable use for the master. Ready for every good work he'd have for us. And that we would grow in holiness and then see see God. Jesus prays that we will grow in holiness as we are transformed by abiding in his truth. Sanctification is not so much about avoiding the world, but being yielded and surrendering to God. Being set apart does not mean we're stored away in a closet. Being set apart means that we find reason for our lives and we find service. The very service for which we were born. To be sent into the world as Christ's ambassadors to work in this harvest. Yeah. We all have a purpose. We all have a godly purpose. To be sanctified in the truth means that we we find that purpose in God's truth. And it sets us free from everything that stops us from finding that purpose in him. It's no stretch to see that Jesus intends his prayer to sanctify us, to energize our faith to believe God's word. He wants us to believe God's word. Because it's through the word that we are sanctified. Now, why would Jesus want us to our faith to have faith to believe his word? Because believing truth of God, believing the truth of God is one of the most difficult things for human hearts to do. It is the hardest thing you will ever do is to believe God's word. In fact, without the work of God in our hearts, it's impossible for us to believe. Everyone who truly believes God believes because Jesus opened up their heart and gave them faith to believe. But even with the work of God, sometimes, most of the time, our feelings don't always agree with what God has said is the truth. Check your own heart. Does truth rule or do feelings rule? I mean... Really? The brutal fact is that many times we'd rather believe our feelings than we would the word of God. This is a severe problem. That we take no confidence in God's truth. But this is the confidence that we have is that his words are true. So Jesus prays that the truth of God would sanctify us Energize our faith to trust him and believe his word. We might confess we believe, but when it comes down to actually applying truth, sometimes we say, my feelings are what are really true. I see this with teenagers a lot. (laughs) You know. And I see it with adults. (laughs) We all see it. We all see it in our own hearts where we will say, well, I know the word says this, but can I trust that? Really? What a comfort is this. That as Satan tempts us and accuses us, Christ prays for us. We need God's truth to daily cleanse and free and empower and sanctify our lives. Jesus is praying this for us. The fourth point I want to mention is John 17, 24. 
the, the language fails me to get into this. He says, Father, this is Jesus praying. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, and we've been given to Jesus, may be with me where I am. Now, he had started off this chapter talking about he was returning to glory where he was before he came to earth. So he's, he's calling us to a glorious place. He says, may, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So he brings into play a couple of things. His desire, we are, we are gifts to Jesus be with him to see his glory that was given to him from the father because the father loved him when from before the foundation of the world. I mean, this gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Every time you look at it, the dimensions are expanding. Jesus desires for all of his people to fully know and enjoy his surpassing glory, not from far away. I can see it in the distance. He wants us to see it near him from his point of view from his view of it Jesus wants us to have the same view of his glory that Jesus has of his glory are you with me this is the lang- the language is difficult here even in my mother language of english this request he made on the earth in the presence of his disciples must point to his prayers for us today He wants us to know, to appreciate, to experience all he is in the fullness of his glory. What will it be like to see the fullness of glory of the King of Kings? What will it be like? It's overwhelming to think about it. But it is our hope. It's our strong and everlasting hope. And then to know that it's not your friend from down the street who's praying this. This is Jesus, the Messiah, who is praying these things. Let me tell you, you may not realize it or not. But witnessing and experiencing the glory of Jesus is what you have always wanted. (laughs) What you've always wanted in life is to know the glory of Jesus Christ. And here Jesus is praying this for you. He wants it more for you than you want it yourself. This is what you've always wanted. There's no better prayer than this. This is amazing. There's no better prayer than what Jesus just prayed for us. But there's more. It's still John, but not in... The Gospel of John, according to John, is First John 2. He says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So this is what's more. When we stumble or fail, Jesus will be our advocate there in the presence of the Father. When we sin, Jesus doesn't forget about us. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't neglect that he's made promises to us. 
He prays for us. He is the righteous one who restores the forgiveness that he himself has an authority to grant us. For he is the one who bore the wrath of the Father against sin. And his prayer is powerful. His prayer is powerful on our behalf. Hebrews 7, 24 and 25 say, Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. This verse states that since Christ is eternally alive to make intercession for us, he is able to save us to the uttermost, that is, forever. Note, he is not interceding for our sins to be forgiven. That's already happened. He's praying that we persevere in believing him. And he says that he would not be able to save us forever if he did not go on forever interceding for us. But it was impossible for death to hold him. So our salvation in Christ is as as secure as his priesthood is indestructible. You You following me here? Jesus lives forever as high priest. He's praying for us and his prayers for us keep us believing and walking in salvation. So our salvation is as secure as is the permanent priesthood of Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus being our high priest is better than any other human priest. His deity and his resurrection secure our salvation in his permanent priesthood. Perhaps we shouldn't talk about salvation in static terms, thinking that since we once made the single decision to trust Christ, that because he once died and rose again, then that's all there is to it. This prayer shows us that there's more to it. His prayer for us remains essential to our continuing to walk in salvation. For God always answers his prayers. You may ask, well, since Jesus prays for us, does that mean we don't have to pray? Well, that's a bad assumption and a grievous mistake. Don't fall into the sin of prayerlessness that's so prevalent today. Because prayerlessness prayerlessness is not at root a discipline problem. It's a faith problem. For prayer, get this, prayer is the native language, the mother tongue of faith. When faith speaks its mother language, it comes out as prayer. John Calvin called prayer the chief exercise of faith. That's why when faith is awake and surging within us, prayer doesn't feel like a burden or an obligation at all. It feels natural. It feels like our faith is freely speaking forth. So don't miss this sweet fellowship of faith in God that God desires for you because you don't pray. He doesn't need us to meet his need because he has no needs. But from his steadfast love flows his strong desire for us to be one with him. If you ignore prayer or think it's not precious, you forfeit intimacy with God. It should be the most alive and vital aspect of your relationship with him is your prayer. We need to pray alone. We need to pray with, with each, 
each other. We need to pray for each other. We can pray anywhere. David prayed in the pit of lions. Shadrach prayed in the fiery furnace. Paul prayed in dungeons. Peter prayed walking on the water and then he prayed under the water. Think of prayer like a train where faith is the engine of the train and God's promises are the fuel and the discipline of prayer is the rails that keep it going. Prayerlessness is almost always due to a stalled engine of faith. For prayer to get going, we need to fire up the faith engine with fuel from God's promises. Only then will we value abiding in His presence. We, we won't value abiding in God's presence until our faith is alive. If you don't value time with God, then check your faith to see whether it has a pulse. Prayer is not informing God. Prayer is inviting God to come into your life. Casting your cares upon him. When you call out to God in prayer, you're not informing him of something he doesn't know. You're you're inviting him into your situation and your challenges, your life, into your world. You're bringing God's grace to bear in the situations for which you are praying. But God doesn't allow this trouble in our lives. God allows these trouble in our lives that he might be glorified by our relying and leaning on him. So he doesn't care so much about the eloquence of our prayer. Rather, he cares about you and your heart and that he be the one to fill and satisfy your heart. Prayer keeps you living. Prayer keeps you in a living and precious relationship with God. There was a Scottish minister way back when, 19th century, Robert Murray McShane, who said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, suppose, Christ, suppose Jesus is just outside in the hall and he was praying for you and you could hear him. You're hearing him pray. And he's praying to God and he's asking God to protect you. To, 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 to keep you in He's praying that you be protected from the enemy. And he prayed that that the word of God come and sanctify your life. And then he prays that you might be one with him. And that you would know his glory the way he knows it. And then he prays because you stumbled yesterday. He says, Father, I, 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 I paid the penalty for that sin. I want you to look upon my righteousness applied to them. He says, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet the distance makes no difference, does it? He is praying for me. What about you? If you never had a problem, never never had a need, would you still pray? Would you press in to God to glorify and enjoy Him forever? Jesus asked the Father to protect us, to sanctify us, to make us one with Him. These are not things we can do on our own. It is impossible for us to do this. 
But that's why Jesus prays for us. We can't preserve ourselves. We can't sanctify ourselves. And certainly we cannot make ourselves one with God. So Jesus calls out on our behalf to God. Because he loves us. And we need his help. Church. Let Jesus hear from you. Let God hear from you. Can we pray? Let's spend a few minutes. Jason, why don't you come on up? Let's spend a few minutes. And let's give God thanks for his prayers for us. This isn't just 2,000 years ago that he was praying this. It was this morning. You know, that day this past week when you had such a hard time, he was there praying for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your word is is, is like taking deep breaths in a pure mountain air tinged with mint and evergreen and coolness. Lord, it, it just... It just refreshes us. And Lord, I pray that prayer would not be a like a foreign language to us. Lord, I pray that prayer would be our faith at work. The faith that you have given us at work. And I pray, Lord, that we might appreciate that you have committed yourself to seeing that we are protected and preserved. Lord, you've committed yourself to see that we are delivered out of the hand of the prince of the power of this air. Lord, that you have committed yourself to the word of truth that we might be set apart and made holy. And Lord, we pray that we might truly grasp what it's like to be one with believers all over the world from ages past and centuries to come to be one because we are one in Christ and then Lord to to develop a deep admiration and and thanksgiving within our heart of being one with you thank you God Lord I pray that our lives a prayer might be forever changed. Thank you, Jesus. You have given us this gift of prayer that it might be this most alive aspect of our relationship with you. Lord, may you be glorified and may we enjoy you forever in our prayers and in our life. In Jesus' name. Thank mm-hmm. you.